This is the Question in Bodies podcast, a catalogue of inconclusive conversations about culture, gender, bodies, literature, movies and horror. With me, your host, Howard David Ingham. In this episode, the return of House of Psychotic Women with guest Kayla Janice. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Question in Bodies podcast. And I'm really excited about this one because I am joined by Kayla Janice. Um, Kayla Janice has one of the most impressive CVs in film nerddom. Um, Kayla is a festival programmer, a prolific writer, an editor, a director and compiler and curator of film stuff, most recently for Severin Films, and is the director of Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, the documentary which is a history of folk horror, and which has, because of all the awards, plaudits, gongs, plaques, statuettes, and weird glass things that it's won, meant that Kayla's probably had to get a really big shelf installed in her house. Kayla's also got a forthcoming book about the work of Robert Downey Sr. coming soon, and the main reason that I've got her on for this episode is because her seminal book, House of Psychotic Women, is getting a new edition, which is coming out at about the time that this podcast will go into the public sphere. So, Kayla, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me on. It's very funny that you referred to my book as seminal because, like, I remember using that phrase in the book at some point, and the copy editor, my, well, my friend Naban Ruthnam, who's also a writer, but he was sort of copy editing the book for me, and he was kind of like, you might not want to use the word seminal as much as you do, considering it means, um, you know, coming from semen. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> He's like, you might it? not want to use that to refer to this book that's all about, like, women and stuff, you know? And I was like, oh, yeah, oh, good point. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, it is a book that sort of kicked off a lot of things. I mean, it is the single film book that most inspired my own writing. And it was the book that told me that it was perhaps okay to put autobiographical stuff in books of film criticism. It was the book that actually clues me into a lot of, lot of movies. My copy of the first edition although it's the second printing of the first edition, as I understand it, because it's got the wrong cover, is dog-eared to hell. You know, it's full of bookmarks and post-it notes, full of books that I like look at and go, oh, I've got to find it. I'm still looking for a copy of Narby the Butterfly. Cannot find that anywhere. But yes, and it's powerful. And it is, you know, it's described as an autobiographical topography of female neurosis in horror and exploitation films and it talks about your relationship with these movies in the context of your life from a very early formative point did you find it a difficult book to write I found it it was weird because I started writing it 10 years before it actually came out and it wasn't like I was writing for that entire time you know I would go in spurts and then it would be dead for a year and I would be thinking I'm gonna throw it out and a big part of what I was having trouble with was the approach and the structure, because the longer I took to work on it, the more great writing started to appear online, you know, because I started writing about it when most of the films in it were totally obscure and there was like no writing about them. And by the time I was getting near, you know, halfway through even, 
there were tons of like blogs and I mean, tons of uh, people with multi-region DVD players. And there were all these releases coming out and being reviewed. And I started to feel a crisis of confidence. Like I was like, well, what is the point of me writing a bunch of reviews of these movies? What's making it different from something people can just find for free online, you know? And, 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 you know, making it autobiographical was something that was actually suggested to me by a couple of friends. And I was, I, I was, I found the idea abhorrent when they suggested it to me because I was like, cause a, as you mentioned, it was not at the time acceptable remotely, like in terms of professionalism yeah. to be writing about yourself in the context of, a, of a film review. Um, it was also, you know, so I was just like, well, that would be professional suicide to do that. Also, I didn't even like most writing like that, you know, like mo- anytime writers did that, I usually hated it. And it was just kind of like, oh God, you know, like it's all about you, you know? <laughs> so I was really resistant to that idea. And also just the fact that I was like, well, I'm not a celebrity. If I was like a famous person, then yes, maybe people care about how my life relates to something, you know? But I was like, because I'm not a famous person, who gives a shit, you know, what my life is like. Um, and- in, in, you are the most famous person I know by the way, just saying, right. Well, that's sad, but, (laughs) but anyways, it was, it was not something I wanted to do, but I agreed to try it, you know? Right. And once I started writing it that way, it actually became easier. It actually became like all the writing flowed out of me. And I think part of it was because when you're writing about film or, or history or something that's not your lived experience, you're always worried about getting things wrong. You know, you're always worried about facts being wrong or did you do enough research or, or, you know, you have imposter syndrome about like whether you know enough to really be the person writing this or whatever. But when it comes to writing about your own life and your own experiences, it's like, no one can tell you that you're wrong. Nobody can tell you that you didn't, I mean, they can try to, but (laughs) they (laughs) they can't really tell you that, you know, that's not your experience. And so that, I found that incredibly liberating writing going feeling like you know nobody can tell me that I don't relate to this movie this way nobody can tell me that I didn't have that make that association mentally when I saw that image in that movie you know and that made it actually a lot easier it still didn't make the overall structure of the book easier and it took my friend Shandra Mayer who's a writer suggested this book to me uh, by Sandy Balfour, who I think is the same guy who's like a producer for the BBC and stuff, but he wrote a book called, I can't remember the name of it, but it was like a book about cryptic crossword puzzles and it was huh. autobiographical. And it was all about his relationship falling, like his marriage falling apart or something. And it would kind of go back and forth between this like real nerdy history of cryptic crosswords and like just, and it was, but it was like this thing where it would kind of weave in and out of like his personal story and into this like history of cryptic crossword puzzles. And so even though that was a book I normally that would never come, I would never come across that I would never gravitate to organically or anything. My friend suggested that just in terms of the structure because I was struggling and she was like, I feel like this book I read might be similar to what you're kind of thinking of. So I read it. And I was like, you're right. That is what I'm thinking of. I said, I, I wanted to make it a little bit, I wanted to make the transitions a little more seamless than his, because in some cases his would, you know, he would be talking about some event and then he'd be like, speaking of cryptic crossword puzzles, 
<laughs> like go back into the history part. So sometimes the transitions were clunky. And I mean, I feel like my transitions are also clunky, but I was trying anyways to make them less clunky. I don't, um, I don't, I don't know if they are clunky. I personally, I mean, to be honest, I, um, I pretty much fell in love with your book when I got it. I, I, I actually only discovered that you had written the book after you had got me in to do a talk for Miskatonic. Okay. Um, you were very nice to me. I was like, oh, oh, she's written a book. Oh, I should get that. I got the book and was gripped all the way through. Aww. Fantastic. I'm very excited. I've, I've, I've already pre-ordered the new one. Oh, and unfortunately, you. I have contributed to your writer's cramp as well. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, no. Um, so I think one thing that struck me about it is that I feel that I'm interested in your personal relationship with these movies because I'm interested in my personal relationship with these movies. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that a lot of that autobiographical stuff, your history of exploitation movies, you know, and I mean, you sort of bring up a lot of obviously the worst stuff in your life. It's quite quite powerful read. Well, I feel like that's a lot of what it is. I feel I feel bad sometimes that people people think my life is a lot worse than it was because I only wrote about the bad stuff in the book. But I was like, right. well, the good stuff wasn't relevant, so I didn't write about it, you know. But people just think I had the most dire childhood, and it's like all those things that are that are in the book are true. But at the same time, I did have a lot of moments of joy with my parents, you know, and right. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I would imagine so. I just, I, but, but I, I think, I think there's one of our, I, lo I love the fact that there are chapters called The Monster at the End of This Book and Heal Me With Hatred and things <laughs> like that. Um, and one of the things I've also particularly excited me about it is that it did actually sort of change the way a lot of people look at a lot of these movies, like, for example, Possession. I think you, as well as, you're, you're basically one of the main voices who was responsible for the critical rehabilitation of Possession. Shamanka as well is a film that I think before this book came out is a film that no one rated. And well, I still think most people don't know that movie. I feel as though like Andrzej Zawarski, people fell in love with Possession and they, I think most of them never bothered to watch a single one of his other films. You know, so I still think Shamanka is pretty obscure. It doesn't get talked about very much at all. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I know. And you basically turned me onto that movie and I found it, um, got hold of the the crazy Blu-ray that came out. Yeah. Or DVD, no, DVD, whatever, that came out a few years ago in like the big sort of like it's fuzzy box. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the postcards and stuff. Yeah, I watched it about six times and find yourself thinking about poor old Ivona Petri and uh, what happened to yeah. that poor woman on that set. It's really interesting as well, I think, that you have a very honest relationship with movies that one might think aren't very feminist, largely, but which yeah. still have something to say well I think like it was the, I mean that was one of the things that when when I first wrote my book I and I and I worry about it again with the new edition coming out but it's like when I first wrote it I was really worried that I would be attacked for being a bad feminist not just because of the movies that I write about and that I seemingly have some sort of affinity with 
or sympathy for or whatever, but because I, in my autobiographical parts of the book, I speak disparagingly about women sometimes about my relationships with women that I, you know, that I had a lot of trouble trusting women, you know, as I was growing up and, uh, you know, and there were a lot of questions about whether I was buying into uh, misogynistic ideas, whether these kinds of ideas were being reinforced, like through the movies I was watching, you know, because I was, because I did have experiences where I had been betrayed by women and, um, you know, it's like, uh, and, and so I was very worried that when the book came out that a lot of women would hate it because they'd be like, oh, it's like just internal misogyny, internalized misogyny and stuff. But it turned out that, um, and I didn't have a lot of female friends before I wrote that book. Now oh, I right. would say I almost, I, I, I have almost exclusively female friends. It completely changed where there was like a ton of women who after the book came out reacted the opposite way from what I expected. And they actually were like, oh man, I have all these issues too. And I have a lot of trust issues myself. And, um, you know, I ended up making friends with a lot of women because of the book and a lot of professional collegial relationships and stuff because of the book. And so it was very weird how it kind of flipped that around for me. Um, it also changed my relationship with my dad, you know, my dad, who I have two dads in the book. One is yeah. no longer alive, but one, the one who I call Oates in the book, my relationship with him is completely different now because of that book we did not have a good relationship before the book and now we have a great relationship and I actually don't live that far from him and I actually see him now way more often than I ever have in my life. That's marvelous. Yeah, it was very weird. I mean, it was like, I when, the, when I put the book out, I expected everyone to hate it. I expected women to be angry at me for being a bad feminist. I expected men to just mock me like, oh, boo hoo, your shitty life, you know? Um, I just, yeah, I just expected, and I expected right. like critically for it to get bad reviews because it was autobiographical. Like, I, I feel like I, I was just prepared. I went in when we launched it and I was just like prepared for the worst. I was prepared to, you know, have people throw rocks at me. And I was actually totally, totally shocked when that didn't happen. And it actually ended up uh, resonating with people and it changed my relationships with people. One of the things that just strikes me about it is it's one of the few books that I can both dip into as a sort of reference source because you've got that handy encyclopedia at the back, but I can also read for pleasure because of the language in it, because of the things. I was I, I reread the epilogue, this, mm-hmm. and the final sentence, what would your life look like if you ever obsessed over the right thing? It would look like this, like a book being finished that is such a fantastic line and <laughs> of course the book was finished and now the book is kind of being finished again um yeah. so what made you want to revisit it I think like the reason to do another edition is was really just because there had been so many more movies that had come out in the decade like, right. like there had been so many movies that came out in the last decade like more in the last 10 years than in the whole history of the book up to that point. And I mean, I think some of them are definitely because of the book. I think some of them are definitely like people, you know, like the book 
created an umbrella term for a certain type of movie where right. some of these movies, people had never really talked about them in conversation with each other or identified them as like a similar type of film. And then after the book came out, you know, it was similar as with the folk horror discussion where all these things that you would never see connected all of a sudden were able to fit together in this interesting way. And with House of Psychotic Women, it was similar. And so you ended up with a bunch of people similarly to with folk horror who were like, oh, I want to make a film like that type of film, you know? Right, and yes. then so all of a sudden you have this proliferation of films over this last decade um, that are dealing with female madness, female interiority, you know, female paranoia, like all these things. Right. And so I wanted to uh, partially acknowledge some of those filmmakers who I knew had been inspired by the book, but also just in general, get some films in that I had missed, you know, the previous time. So it's not like it's all new movies that were added. There's definitely older films that were also added. Um, and so, yeah, but that's it. The rest of the book has not changed. Um, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with doing a revised edition of it because, I mean, honestly, if I sit down and read that book, I will hate it. I will cringe at every single sentence <laughs> I wrote and think it's so cheesy. And like, I, can't, I cannot stand it. I can't look at my old writing. I hate it. And I, and I say so many like just insensitive and politically incorrect things. I, like I can't even look at my old writings. So I was just like, well, it just has to exist for what it is. You know, it was like, it came out in yeah. 2012. That's where my brain was at in 2012. These were things I thought were appropriate to say in 2012. And it just needs to stay like that. And I feel like revising it would be, I would end up censoring it or I would end up just like changing my writing because I didn't like it anymore, you know, or just all these stupid things. And I was like, that's, that's not the point of doing a revised book. I felt like what I was doing with the appendix by adding more movies, I was like, that's the point of a revised book, you know? So it's like to expand it like that. And so I thought I'm just going to leave the main bulk of the book alone and then just add to the appendix. So that way people get more that reflects this change in time, you know, this 10 year period, but there's nothing being kind of censored or reimagined about the text itself just to like make me more comfortable with what it says. Yes. It's, it's so it's basically the same book with like a much bigger encyclopedia bit at the back. Yes. Um, cause, cause um, for those of you who don't have copies and what is wrong with you, it, it's, it's about 50% the book. And then the 50% at the back is an appendix, which partly includes truncated versions of the bits in the earlier half of the book, but largely includes just full film reviews and summaries of films in this genre and that's actually interesting is I'm right because obviously obviously there are certain films in the back that are almost like contractual obligation inclusions like yeah. everybody's going to be like why isn't Black Swan in here and of course Black Swan's in here but you know Black oh, but Swan... there's actually there's tons of movies especially in the new yeah. edition there's tons of things where people are going to complain that certain things are not in it, you know, and so much of it was about yeah, whatever I felt like writing about, you know, it was like, I, I only had X, I had, I think four months, you know, that I was working on it. And uh, so I was like, well, I can do a hundred. I can, I can feasibly do a yeah. hundred movies in that time. I cannot do more than a hundred. It's not possible. 
And so I just had to pick what those hundred movies were going to be. And there's definitely things that are not there that people are going to be appalled about. But there's also things that I just tried to squeeze a mention of them in other reviews, you right. know? So like if, if I knew I wasn't going to be able to write about something, I would try to name drop it in one of the other reviews. Like, so it's not, so it still shows up in the index, but it doesn't have its own review. Right. But, but even though the, the appendix, you know, when I first envisioned it, they were supposed to be capsules. They were supposed to be like the size of like in the psychotronic encyclopedia or something, you know, they're supposed to be like one paragraph capsules, but of course oh. I kept rambling and rambling. And so some of them are quite long and, and what quite I also, insightful in their own rights. Well, but what I also hate about them is like, I look at them and I, and I'm just like, oh my God, I'm just telling everything that happens in the movie. Like there's nothing, like, I feel like some, some, I don't say anything insightful about, I'm literally just describing what happens in the film, which is like the worst type of film writing. Yeah, but I do that. (laughs) So, well, but for the new edition, I tried to be very mindful of that, you know, so for the new edition, like all the new capsules that I wrote, I really kind of focus on like, I'll do a short synopsis. And then for the most part, I'll just try to dig into something that I find interesting about the film. Um, And so if you haven't seen the film, in some cases, you may be actually totally confused by what I have written, you know? Um, But it was an attempt to not be as like spoilery and stuff, you know, because there were definitely complaints about that first time around with the book, that there was too many spoilers in the appendix. And right. I mean, that's what I got from academic writing though. When you do academic writing, you're always analyzed, you analyze the full film, you know? So you have to talk about the ending. And in many of these films, you don't even find out it's the woman who's crazy until the end. So you have to yeah. talk about the end, you know? Like, um, like in Four Flies on Grey Velvet. Yeah. Um, the only real spoiler in it is retrospective because Mimsy Farmer's in it. And she yeah. spends most of the film being stable. Yeah. And you just think that's not right. This is Mimsy Farmer. That's not what Mimsy Farmer does. Oh, (laughs) she goes. But that's the thing. I mean, like there's certain (laughs) movies that just by the fact that they're in the book, it's a spoiler. (laughs) It's just seeing the name of the, of the, of the movie in the book gives us a giveaway of like who the killer is. I mean, it is really difficult at the moment as well also, because obviously things like Netflix and Shudder, have this proliferation of tiny movies and occasionally you'll find like a gem in the rough like recently i was looking for a horror mill horror movie to watch on shudder a while back it's like oh my god there's all these brand new shitty folk horror movies and <laughs> with loads of them but there was one called hellbender oh my god i actually by, love hellbender and i and i watched it and it's made by a mum and her daughter and other well, members and the of their family and the dad and it's a little gem in the rough, isn't it? Yeah. And it was made for about 55 pence. And yeah. it's just marvelous. Another one called I saw recently called We're All Going to the World's Fair. Yeah. Which is also another, another gem. Um, without any spoilers about the new content in your book, can you think of like what your favorite film of this genre in the last few years? Have you, is there anything you've seen? Yes, The, the Black Coat's Daughter. Oh, I love that. I, I actually say I actually say that in the book. I was just like in the appendix for it. I was just like, you know, this may be unprofessional to state, you know, that I have a favorite. But I was like, of all these movies that have come out in the last ten years, I was like, The Black Coast Daughter is my favorite. So what a great movie that is, and so disturbing as well. I've I've got that in um, that scene. We don't go back as well. 
actually yeah. I, I picked that up because it's um osgood perkins yeah um who also made i am the pretty thing that lives in the house which sounds yeah. like it should be an italian giallo title but really isn't yeah, and I also like that film a lot. And it's, it's great, yes. Um, again, that's a film that you can't really say much about because of spoilers, isn't it? It's, uh... Yeah, yeah, and it's brilliant. I mean, I watched it with my friend's teenage daughter recently. Oh, wow. She was like, you know, getting interested in horror movies and her mom wanted me to pick a horror movie for her to watch. So I picked that one and we the three of us watched it. It was funny because the daughter figured it out halfway through, you know, like it's got a certain structure that doesn't reveal itself, you know. And the daughter figured it out, but the mom, even at the end, she's like, wait, what happened? I don't understand. Who is this person? You know? So the mom right. was totally confused, but the teenage daughter was super into it, you know? And um, yeah, and I was just, and it was interesting watching it with a teenage girl too, because the, the pacing of it is like an older film, you know? It's not yes. made, it's not paced the way a teenage horror <clears throat> movie would be now. So even though the cast is mostly teenagers, it's not paced with a teenage audience, a current teenage audience in mind, but it's so unnerving. You know, it's like, it's so beautiful. It's so unnerving. It's so creepy. Uh, the faces, like the casting is so great. Like, I don't know, uh, the music is terrific. I mean, just, I, I absolutely adore that movie. And it was like, I was, when I was doing the book I had to contact people to try to get images of their movies right and so I had a friend who knew Osgood Perkins and connected me to him and I emailed him to ask for images and he's he had read my book and I, I was amazing. like yeah that was that was the best part of like doing the new book is like when I would contact people for images and they were happy to give me images because they had read the book and they liked the book compared to the first time I was doing the book and trying to get images from people and people were just like, oh, I don't know, I got to check with my agent or I don't know what kind of book, who's the publisher? You know, like there was just all this yeah. suspicion about like whether they should give me pictures or not. And I had to like pitch everybody on like, you know, the book, like every time oh. I would request images. And then this time I would contact people and they'd be like, oh, I love that book. Here's a bunch of pictures, you know. Which is fantastic. I mean, you do, am I right in thinking you, you've got a quote from Molly Ringwald? Yes. Well. Which That's was so cool. Yeah. And that, and that was weird because it was like she posted the book cover on her Instagram like in December or something. And there was no comment. It was just the picture of the book. And I didn't know whether she was posting it because she just came across it online and thought the title was funny or what. But so I just reached out to her agent when I was thinking of getting some new quotes for the back. And I just emailed her agent and said, you know, I don't know if she's actually read this book or not, but I mean, if she has, and if she would want to write a quote for it, you know, blah, 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 here's my email. And within 45 minutes, Molly Ringwald wrote me an email and said that her daughter was a horror fan. And that was why she read it. That's so cool. Was because she never understood why her daughter liked horror movies and she wasn't sure if it was bad for her daughter to be watching these movies and stuff. And she read my book and said that it gave her this new understanding of like what her daughter got out of these movies. That's so. beautiful. That's yeah. actually genuinely beautiful. I mean, all these people who have read your book, who know your book and are making films now, that's quite, it's quite important. And to make your own films now and make, make like really great well, to make, make my own film, a period. I made one film, so. 
Uh, uh, I, I, to be honest, if it's your only film, that's that's actually fine. I've, I've got I've got at least one friend who told me that they'd never willingly watch a three and a half hour documentary, but that they watched it because I was in it. Yeah. And then they found themselves just immensely enjoying the whole thing all the way through. And they yeah. just found themselves utterly, just, they just found it delightful all the way through. And there's so much great stuff in that film. Obviously you're sort of riding on the back of this at the moment, but um, what's next? Well, I have, uh, I'm doing my, I'm hoping to set up a book tour of sorts for the new house of psychotic women, like just to, do some events with it and stuff like that. So I imagine if it goes as planned, that will take me through the end of October, just kind of doing various events with that book. But probably the thing that will come out soonest will be the Robert Downey Sr. book. Hopefully right. it's been, so the Robert Downey Sr. book is an anthology of essays about the films of Robert Downey Sr., which you know, because you wrote a chapter in it. Mm-hmm. And that's a sneak peek because nobody knows the contributors. <laughs> um, but anyways, but the, but it, this book has been in production for so long because we, you know, there's just like a couple of outstanding chapters that we've been waiting on and waiting on and waiting on, you know, and that we've had to reassign and then we're waiting and waiting. And, you know, like right. there's just, there's just been some holdups with a couple of particular chapters that we're not comfortable proceeding without, you know, so that has kind of held up the whole project for years. And it's weird because, you know, there's people who handed in their chapters at the very beginning, which would have been in like 2015, 2016, something like that was when I started working on that book. It's I've never had an anthology book that took me longer than a year from conception to being released so the Downey book is crazy and then on top of it we're going to be dealing with things very we're going to have very different problems with this book because it's one thing to do an anthology book and be using imagery uh, you know you can do fair use for a lot of the imagery uh, but part of it is because you're doing um, all these different films by different artists, you know, you're not exploiting the work too much. You know, part of right. how fair use works is that you have to be able to prove that you're not exploiting something to the detriment of the rights holder exploiting it, you know? Right. So using a single quarter page picture from somebody's movie in your book, they cannot say that that prevents them from doing a book about their movie. It can't, they can't say it prevents them from doing a poster book about their movie or it doesn't infringe on their commercial viability in any way. Whereas doing an entire book about a single director that's full of pictures of all that person's work brings up, a, it opens up a different camera. Right, yes. Because it then means that if somebody that the Downey family hand picks to do a book about Downey and they want to use all those pictures that my book is actually infringing upon their commercial viability you know so I feel as though the process of laying out the book is going to be very different because I'm going to definitely need permission for the pictures in this book which either could be denied or that I'll have to pay through the nose for or, right. you know, so it may end up that the book comes out much more like an academic book than I'm used to, which means right. way less yeah. pictures and stuff. So that's all very up in the air. But the main thing right now is to focus on just getting these last chapters in 
so that we can right. get it into layout because everything else is like done and waiting, you know. So provided these chapters come in when they're supposed to, this book will hopefully be out this at the end of this year or early 2023. And then beyond that, I have my cockfighter book, which is my other longstanding project. It's like, that's a book I've also been working on for like five years. And it's a single author book that's just me writing it. Um, and that book is like two years late. I had an Indiegogo for it like two years ago. Right, yes. Yeah, I mean, and, we've all uh, had long, long, long waited Kickstarters. I mean, to be fair, that. it's the only project I've had like that that has that I've that I've like pre-sold and has like failed to materialize when it's supposed to. Um, so I'm hoping that people will give me a, some slack on it. But there's you know there's a few reasons for it being so late. One of which were was you know right at the time when I was thinking I was going to finish it, I had a very big personal setback. But then aside from that, there's just like mm. holdouts with the interviews. You know, there's like certain key people. There's not a lot of people alive from this yes. movie still. And of those people who are alive, there's two people I really want an interview with that are just not responding to me. And I absolutely know that they have got, like I have, I have approached them every single possible way, like agents, managers, personal friends that we have in common like just every possible way. And I know that they have gotten my messages and just are not responding for whatever reason, you oh, know, but sucks. I also feel like if the book comes out without these people in it, especially one of them, one of them is Pat Pierce, who's like the main woman. She's Warren Oates's girlfriend in the film. Um, and I feel like if she's not interviewed in it, it's the first thing people will say about it in reviews, you know, is that the main woman in the film is not interviewed. Right. And so I've been trying, I've been calling her and leaving messages for years now. And uh, so that's, so that's one hold up. And then there's other little things. Like I definitely want to do another research trip because there were, uh, you know, I'm such a bad researcher. Sometimes it's like, I went all the way down to Florida to Charles Wilford's archives and then there was just like, I came back with blanks, you know, like with certain things where I was like, oh, I forgot to write this down or I forgot to check that or whatever. And now I have to go back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, by, by the way, Pat, if you're listening to this, you know, give Kayla an email or something. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing the new edition of House of Psychotic Women and as well as anything else you bring out. I mean, I mean, um, big fan obviously i'm gonna just get a fan person here quietly uh, at the other end of the line but yes um i think you know we've been talking for nearly an hour now so i think it's probably time to let you get on with the rest of your your day it just remains for me to say thank you so much for coming on and uh, and i really hope that everything that's coming up is really successful Thanks. thank you so much Yes, I hope so too. I hope I can move beyond House of Psychotic Women and have a new project, a new book soon. That's my goal.
Question Embodies is an independent podcast hosted and edited by me, Howard David Ingham. Music is by Stephen Horry. Thanks for listening.